Hello, and welcome to Health Science Radio on 94.9 CHRW. I'm your host, Jillian Mandich, and I'm really excited to be here live in the studio. And as we go, if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, you can tweet to me as we go. My Twitter handle is at Jillian Mandich. That's at G-I-L-L-I-A-N-M-A-N-D-I-C-H. And here at Health Science Radio, we talk about all things health because health is about so much more than just not being sick. We bring on experts from all areas of health to help educate you, to allow you to learn to take charge of your own health and responsibility for your own well-being. At Health Science Radio, we dig deep into the study and research of health and the application of health knowledge to optimize wellness, promote vitality, and understand human function and performance. And today, I'm really excited to be joined live by Sunil. Welcome, Sunil. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Let's start off, throw out your Twitter handle for everybody that's listening. Twitter handle, at Sunil Godse. I spell that out? S-U-N-I-L-G-O-D-S-E. Awesome. All right. So, Sunil, where do we start with you? There's so much to talk about. Maybe um, for our listeners who have never read any of your books, taken any of your classes or anything like that, we can kind of start out with the Coles Notes version of who you are oh, and sure. what brought you to here today. Absolutely. So I've been a 20-year business consultant, and one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, many of the, uh, the clients I've had, as well as the uh, entrepreneurs I've mentored, really have kind of learned from their mistakes or their failures. And there was no real reference point uh, or reference material to get them through some of the, uh, the incredible challenges that entrepreneurship brings. And uh, certainly when I, uh, when I approached uh, some publishers and, and even some uh, academic in- institutions, they loved the topic, but they just found that nobody wanted to talk about failure. And I said, that doesn't make sense to me. And so I opened up my Rolodex and very quickly, Jim Treliving, Bruce Croxon, Larry Rosen, and some, uh, some very big names came uh, running for this topic. And in fact, uh, I have three great mentors, Terry Fallis, Bruce Croxon, and uh, David Chilton, who absolutely loved the topic. And they said, we will help you with mentorship. Uh, and that was when Fail Fast, Succeed Faster was born. And that's your book? That's my book, absolutely. How long ago was that? That, that I started writing in 2012 and released, uh, the official launch was November 13th, 2014. Oh, wow. And I've heard that people compare, uh, I guess you wouldn't really know the answer to this, but having a book or writing a book with having a baby. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it absolutely. Was it a big undertaking? It, it's, it's a lot of time, a lot of effort in between juggling a family as well as uh, your teaching responsibilities, as well as, uh, you know, consulting and things like that. So it's a lot of time. And, and uh, I think a lot of people really underestimate how much time really goes into putting in a quality product on top of the marketing that you have to do afterwards. Absolutely. So did you self-publish the book? This was self-published, completely self-published, and uh, it was great. And so, so far, we're just shy of 5,000, which is a Canadian bestseller. So that's been going really well for me. Congratulations. Thank you. I didn't know that. That's really exciting. It's fantastic. So how, uh, how did you get the word out about the book? So a lot of it is through my contacts mm-hmm. um, and uh, my Rolodex and then speaking engagements. So as just uh, the day after I uh, had the release, I was out at the University of Regina and uh, all points out that way. Uh, in, I was in Fredericton, a lot of points in Toronto, a lot of places in London, and just speaking about the book and the topic. Uh, and then I, also, I started getting some feedback from entrepreneurs who've actually said, listen, you know, I've either not gone into business because of the stories in the book or... It's interesting you bring a point here I never thought about. Let me rethink this and rejig my business idea so that it could become successful. Yeah. So, okay. I, I read your book and I really love it. And it's, it's filled with lots of different stories. Yep. 
Is there any sort of story that really jumps out at you or one that you think the listeners might be really intrigued or one of the more popular ones that you hear a lot about? Yeah, so the, the one that strikes people the most almost all the time, and there's there's uh, two of them. One is the Jim to Living story because they can relate to Boston Pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a time when, uh, you know, uh, Jim uh, was, was on his expansion front and really thought that Canadians all across Canada ate the same. And it wasn't the case. Uh, people in Vancouver, uh, it was a different uh, market segment, and they ate at different times. And then lo and behold, he expands to Ontario, and he's getting people coming in much earlier than they do in Vancouver and eating a lot more. And so the kitchens weren't ready. And so they had a crack at opening up in, in uh, eastern Ontario, specifically, well, eastern Canada, specifically Ontario. And he failed. Nobody came in. Uh, the people were waiting two hours for their pizza, and they didn't come back a second time. So his intuition told him, let's pull back and let's just shut all of our expansion plans, start from ground zero, and then move ahead. And the second story, which a lot of people uh, immediately talk about, is Jean-Pierre Taillon. He's the president of G4S Securities. And on a fine early morning, he got a call from his head of security uh, saying that uh, one of uh, the guards uh, that he had um, had gone AWOL. And five of the five guards that were going to do a, a, a drop at one of the TD banks, um, four of them were shot and three were killed. And the, the, the last one was kind of missing in action. And it was eventually found out that the last guard was the one that uh, killed all, uh, all the other uh, well, the other three and maimed the fourth. And he didn't listen to the lawyers and he didn't listen to uh, the PR people. And what he realized what that was that he was in business for the values that he upheld, which was communication, which was trust. And that particular incident brought him down to a level of awareness of why he was in business that was so fundamental. And that actually propelled his success even more afterwards. Mm, wow. It's, it's so interesting because stories are so powerful, right? Like you can really learn so much from them. And I don't know about you, but I find like my memory, I remember things more and the lessons when they come from a story. Absolutely, absolutely. And, at, and I'm getting this time and time again. And if you look at the, the speakers uh, that go up to TED or TEDx or even the professional ones, it's all about their stories of their, their experiences or the experiences of others. And you're absolutely right. Like they, they actually stick in your mind a lot more. And I think it's because it's, it's not a theory. It's not something where you can put on a two-by-two two graph. It's actually people walking through these shoes and losing money or you know, doing their gut check uh, and succeeding or not succeeding. But you can relate to them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so in terms of getting all the stories together for the mm-hmm. book, uh, there's lots of different interviews you had to do. How, how was the procedure? How'd you, how did that happen? So I had over, for the first one, 268 interviewees, and there was a lot. And so uh, I tried to look at some of the common themes. And then I kind of looked at how have I consulted in the past? So if I'm looking at a business idea that I've had pr- previously um, and brought on some partners, or if I've uh, consulted uh, or have had some mentors, some entrepreneurs, what was important for me and in what what sequence. So it really starts off in Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. It really starts with you and you as an entrepreneur. So you can have an, a fantastic business idea, but if you just don't have the skills or can't get the other skills on board, it's just not going to fly. And it really, really kind of does start with you. And when we talk to uh, other people like Bruce Croxon, and, and, and they, they fundamentally believe that you, will, you are born an entrepreneur. Um, and if you, can't, if you can't trust others to join you, if you don't have a skill set, it's just not going to go anywhere. And then from that uh, point, this sort of the five, six themes sort of coming out. And then I take, took a look at, okay, what are the uh, interviewees that I think would have the most impact? And those are the stories that went in the book. And the rest served as uh, either podcast material or blogs or, or so, so on and so forth. 
you had lots of opportunities to get those stories out there. Absolutely. And absolutely. how's the feedback been from people that read the book? What's oh, like? absolutely fantastic. As I said, some of the entrepreneurs have come back to me. Um, what was interesting is that even though Fail Fast, Succeed Faster is a book on entrepreneurship, many relate on a personal level because they've had personal um, failures. And really, when you take away sort of the bricks and mortar of a business, you're really dealing with people. Yeah, you can call it sales, marketing, frontline, management, but it's a collection of people, and it's how these people interact with each other and the outside world, call them customers, that really make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that was really intriguing for me, that people really saw th that this is really about your own kind of failures and learning through them, uh, probably shrouded in a business sort of uh, environment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because it's, it's almost like you always bring it back to the human level, right? Like, the, we're people. And yeah. we all have lessons we can all teach each other. We can all learn from each other. And if someone's done something really great and there's an opportunity to learn from what they've done or they've learned the hard way, some hard lessons, and can teach that and share that with other people, it's so valuable to really bring that to the forefront to talk about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's people making decisions, yes. right? So we talk, we, we talk about business decisions, but who are making them? And it's really the CEO or the management team or even people. And we call leaders not by, by, uh, by their, uh, uh, their card, uh, but really by who they are. And you're, mm. you can be a leader at any level. I, uh, I was just at a talk with Robin Sharma not mm -hmm. too long ago. Do you know him? Yes, absolutely. And he wrote a book called The Leader Without a Title. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how we can all show leadership in whatever we do, from the street sweeper to the CEO. Yeah. Everything that you do, yeah. there's an opportunity for leadership. And I love that you're saying this too, because oftentimes like our mindset goes right to the leader is like the CEO of a company or the, the head of a department or whatever mm -hmm. it is. But really, every single person has an opportunity to show leadership. Absolutely. And, and through the stories in the book, that does come through as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, because it, it is at different levels. I'm not just talking to the C-suite. I'm talking about people who are just, you know, Joe or Jane Doe's and uh, uh, that have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And from all different walks of life. Absolutely, and from absolutely. from different backgrounds. And, and I think sometimes it's easy to look at, like, the really successful people, like the heads of the Boston Pizzas out there right. and, and to learn. But there are so many different opportunities for businesses in all different realms that, you know, really provide valuable opportunities for people. Absolutely. I, I distinctly remember after the conference, at a, at a conference even before the book was published, June 13th here at uh, the London Convention Center. And uh, of course, after all the networking was done, um, there were five or six people who were actually, you know, just regular people that wanted to come in and say, hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I this is where I want to step away from business because uh, some of the, the stories of failure I heard up on the stage really resounded with me. And, uh, you know, there's things I just really didn't think about. So, as I say, you can have a great idea or a business idea, but is it, is it something you can really kind of follow through with mm -hmm. uh, and take it forward? Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love, the, I love the title, Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think sometimes the, the conception or the idea people have is that you, to be really successful, you don't fail. You just keep going and you have all this success. But the reality is there's all these steps along the way that you have to take and there's learning. And, mm -hmm. and we all kind of from time to time fail, but how we deal with that yeah. is is pretty critical. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with focus as well. So if, you, if you're going to focus on the failure and you're going to get stuck there, then guess what? You always will be stuck and your wheels will be spinning. What you have to do is you got to shift your focus away from the failure. Take a look at the hurdles. What caused those hurdles and what's going to change to get you over those hurdles? So you really have to change the, that focus from failure to mistakes. And when I interviewed Jim Treliving and Barb Stegman, who is uh, with Seven Virtues, they hate the word failure. Because it's, it's not about the failure, it's about the mistakes. And they'll, that's the first thing they say, I don't like that word. So it gives, it gives a bit of a, a key insight into where their focus is. Yeah, okay, we made a mistake. Okay, it's a failure for, from this point on. But afterwards, it's a mistake. How do we fix it? And let's move on. 
Yeah. And did you notice any other key themes with people when they talked about failure? Was there sort of resiliency tactics or things that people were kind of doing? Any common themes that you noticed come up? A lot of it was ju- just the emotions, the heavy emotions involved in it. Uh, and some of them are resilient enough to, to get past it. Um, and that's probably a trait of a good entrepreneur uh, is to, you know, okay, here you go. Let's move on. Uh, and really bring on the, the support network that the people have is f- key because there's some people that will still wallow in that sort of negativity and contribute to that. And when you step step out of that and get a, a social circle or a, a professional circle that kind of helps push you up and over those hurdles, that's what you want. And what's that's what some of these people have gotten um, and that's gotten them to the next page. Mm-hmm. Have you? Did you notice any other sort of common characteristics or qualities or traits with a lot of the really successful people in the book? Did you notice any personality characteristics or anything like that? A lot of them just don't know how to say no. Uh, and uh, so th- they, they break the barriers, uh, they have the rules, and a lot of them will not get to a point of saying no until they experience something themselves. Um, and typically, it's, it's really funny, when you, when you talk about entrepreneurs, um, a lot of them really pat them on the back when they're successful. But way back when, when they weren't, when they were starting, people called them crazy, uh, people shunned them, uh, their family members kind of said, y- you know, weird, why are you doing this? Uh, and it's not until, you know, that idea actually becomes successful that they really break out of that. And then they pat everybody, everybody pats them on the back. And it's funny because I tweet uh, uh, with some of these, the Airbnb uh, uh, founders and, and some of those people. And uh, when I tweet some of these type of, uh, th- these kind of ideas in 140 characters or less, they're often retweeting it because they absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's uh, your Twitter's really good too, by the way. Oh, thank you. Just want to throw out your Twitter handle <laughs> one more time if people are just tuning in. Yeah, at Sunil Godse, S U N I L G O D S E. Awesome. And so, your first book led you to your second book, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. do you want to kind of explain the mental process that you went through to get from your first book to uh, gut the yeah, second book? Yeah, absolutely. So, the one common theme. Uh, or the one common question I got is, okay, what's the grand theory? What's going to make me successful in business? And the reality is there really isn't a grand theory. I mean, some people have top five uh, uh, skills to have or top five this or top three this. But really, there's a reason why there's 75 stories here and 268 stories. And I could have gone on, but uh, my better half told me to stop. It's also, for those of you listening, it's a pretty thick book as it is. How many of them? It's about, I think, close to 400 pages, 412 pages. Um, and so, yeah, it's very, very thick. So lots of stories uh, from, uh, like, 416. 416? 416. Four sixteen. Yes, I was four shy, sorry. <laughs> Haven't seen that in a while. So, um, But, uh, so the common theme was, if there was anything, it was people not listening to their intuition. So those that didn't in- listen to their intuition had gotten into the failures. And when I, when I actually went back to some of the audio recordings and some of the videos that I took, it was incredible that there were uh, so many of them that actually did say that. And so that's how gut was kind of born. And uh, then I did a bit of research on gut. Uh, and so what's the research actually saying? And then there's MRIs in here, and uh, so you've got brain scans. And, and so it's, my, it's actually based in a bit of research. Uh, and then uh, we've got uh, so many stories of how intuition uh, led people to successful outcomes and ignoring it led to the negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what happened. And uh, that launched uh, this past November. And so that's far right. we've sold over 1,500 copies of that already. Oh, that's amazing. It's it's so I, I was so excited when it first came out because so if if you haven't checked out the book I would highly recommend how do people get copies of your book so this you can go on uh, my website gutincorporated.com uh, and or it's, it's also available on amazon.com.ca chapters uh, indigo barnes and noble.com so however and wherever you go to purchase books it should be there 
I love it. So the front, it says gut, what it is, how to trust it, how to use it. Absolutely. And that's what it's about, right? That's absolutely what it's about. So let's dig a little bit. You touched on the fact that there was some research in the in the book in right. terms of uh, listening to your intuition. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. So there's, there's a couple of things uh, that are very key. Uh, and a lot of people saying that, well, it, intuition, it's instant, but it they could chalk it up to, to some other uh, some other uh, aspect of, of uh, thinking or the or the using the mind, but so what the, some of the research shows is that there's an actual seven to ten second delay between you have an intention to do to have a uh, to make a decision or uh, uh, perform an action, and the actual decision or action that's performed, and that intention is actually the intuition. So you have a, you have an intention or you have this intuition that you're going to do something, and seven to ten seconds later you should be doing it. And what happens is that seven to 10 seconds is where we screw it up. And this mm -hmm. is where we get either over, or we get too irrational, uh, too rationals, pardon me, or over emotional, uh, or we fear failure. You've got those kind of hurdles that stop you from making the right decision. So that was uh, some of the research. Other research uh, goes into uh, trusting people. And so one of the areas of intuition is, of course, if you have uh, a personal intuition, you can tell if you can trust somebody. And research has shown that that's as quick as 14 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so within 14 seconds, you can trust me or I can trust you based on what we can see with facial features and uh, what you're saying and uh, what we're hearing. But we spend 30 minutes doing interviews or sometimes an hour, <laughs> and the end goal sometimes is the same. Right. That that nonverbal communication, that's such a key piece. Like when when someone's standing there, you can tell if they want to talk to you, if they're, you know, hunched over and they're looking down at the ground or if their arms are open and their eyes are bright. You can really through just body language and that nonverbal communication really tells a lot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and even when I do talk to people about some of the instances they've had uh, where they've not trusted their intuition, the most common one is personal when they're talking with with uh, somebody because that seems to be the strongest of the, of the four that I talk about. Um, however, when they do when they do talk about it or, or reminisce, they always say, oh, yeah, you know, I did hear something from this one person and I ignored it. I gave that person a chance. And more often than not, that's led into uh, an instance where either a friendship broke or a relationship broke, or something egregious happened, um, and in some cases they don't elaborate because it's a bit too close, um, and it's still emotionally raw with them. They haven't dealt with it, uh, but they did see the signs, or they heard the signs at some point, and they ignored it. That hindsight is twenty twenty kind absolutely. of idea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's quite powerful, and uh, and people moving it forward. Uh, some are experts at it. Some really, really trust their intuition very, very, uh, very strongly. Uh, and sideswipe a lot of things like uh, financial gains or uh, you know social gains or things like that because they really really want to stay true to their uh, to their uh, values of, of trusting their intuition. And I think I'm sure a lot of the people listening out there right now kind of everyone has a, a general understanding of what it, your gut feels like, that sort of that deep knowing when you know you have that weird feeling like this doesn't feel so right or this feels really yeah. really right. Yeah. And so sometimes I find though it's it's hard for people to actually learn how to connect with their gut and how to listen to it when it talks to them right is that something that um that you found with people absolutely and the biggest the, the first part of really kind of listening to to your intuition is being self-aware and really really listening to what i call internal and external indicators if you're not really aware with your uh, with yourself and how your body's kind of talking to you uh, and there's various factors that'll help you, you know, through meditation, through diet, uh, uh, through exercise, and some of the things that you do. Uh, one of the things that I, I uh, often introduce is where's where's that that intuitive zone? So where do you go to think your strategic thoughts or your thoughts? And some, for some people, it's showering. Some people, it's it's running. Some people, it's flying. 
um, driving, things like that. Um, but it's really being self-aware. And what happens is if you're not self-aware, then you're not listening to those indicators that you have. So you have indicators. A lot of people will, will talk about this coming from the stomach, mm-hmm. um, and that's where a lot of nerve endings are. But, for example, you look at Drew Green from shop.ca, and he sees this omen, and he can't describe it. He can't. It doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a smell. Uh, it, it just happens to pop up. So if he's in a negative situation and it comes up, he'll either kibosh a business deal or not hire a person if that happens to be the uh, the particular uh, issue that he's dealing with or if it's a positive uh, if it's a positive situation and this omen shows up he knows he's he's taking the right path and he trusts that each and every single time for others they go to airports and they love to be around people and they, they can feel their noses flaring they can f- they can almost sense their eyes their, the pupils of their eyes dilating uh, and they know that they're in that intuitive moment, and they just have they have to be in an airport uh, and sense that. Now, they, obviously, they do a lot of traveling, but that's where they, they get their intuitive moments. Mm-hmm. And so if you tap into yourself, if you're really kind of self-aware and listen to these indicators, then intuition is going to be much more clearer in terms of you recognizing the signal that's coming rather mm-hmm. than shutting it off or ignoring it completely. So you, you mentioned a couple of ways that some people sort of connect to yeah. that feeling. If someone's listening and they don't know what that is for them, is there ways that they can figure that out? Absolutely. So what, what they have to do is just go back to those times or those things that they, that they actually feel very relaxed in. So uh, what have they been? And everybody has been able to think back to do they take walks, do they, uh, do they run? There's always been something that they've done that's pleasurable for them and very relaxing. And what happens is when you're in la- that relaxed environment and you're really shutting off the noise of the world, that's when you have your intuitive thoughts and that's what you want you want to shut the noise out and give yourself that time to reflect and that's when things start coming and it's interesting um, when I do my talks uh, we spend one minute doing that so people actually think about their intuitive zone uh, and I give them 30 seconds to do that they shut their eyes and then I give them a minute to wrestle with a problem they've been wrestling for a while and within one minute I just and it's 60 seconds and I say time and after their 60 seconds I'll ask them, so what did you think? Was their intuition at play? And many of them have said, it's interesting. I've had some questions pop up that never had popped up before. Or I had one, one other attendee, and he said, I had questions before, but they were coming up so fast and furious. And another attendee said, I, I actually found the answer within that minute. And they were going through a personal situation, her and her husband, with another colleague. And within what, that one minute, the answer came to them of what they should do. And the problem is she knew about this all the time. So intuition was telling her that same message time and time again. And both her and her husband uh, were ignoring that message. Her specifically, her husband dealt it in a different way. And so within that one minute, she found the answer. And I talked to her uh, a week later, and she's working on it now. And she's getting rid of that relationship with that negativity. That's just one minute. Yeah. Imagine if you did that for a lifetime. Right. Absolutely. And I love that we're having this conversation too, because so often, like when you say this stuff, I'm sure a lot of people are nodding their heads and they're like, yeah, I know what he's talking about, but they don't actually take the time to stop to think about that. Absolutely. And so bringing that awareness to even know that you have a gut to listen to is such an amazing first step for people. Absolutely. And then they can start bringing in the, you know, the, what you talk about in the book and learn to connect to their own gut and listen to it Mm -hmm. in a much better way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really it's the steps. I mean, it's there. Yeah. Uh, Intuition is always there. You're You're born with it. 
right? Mm-hmm. And you've already soaked up the experiences. And I think that's one of the, ones, one of the misconceptions, some of the misconceptions. People think it's luck or, uh, you know, it, it just happens to be very spiritual or it's just or being rational. And these are things that it's not. You're actually, when you're born, you're soaking up experiences. Your brain's taking up 10,000 uh, events an hour and your brain is really taking out those relevant pieces that are good to you. So you're actually watching people's reactions. You're seeing how the world works. Um, and then you, you actually, you have, learning that you actually do by yourself and uh, both implicit, which is your own experiences and explicit, which is you going to college or, or taking a diploma or reading mm-hmm. books. And all that gets combined to inform intuition. So it's not really luck, it, there's actually experience behind it. And it just tells you in, a ver- in an instant at a subconscious level that this is the way you should, you should go. So it's there, everybody has it. And I think that's great in that you can trust that to guide you. It's kind of like your North Star. Absolutely. Right? Everybody's got the North Star. Mm-hmm. How much of a good shepherd are you in so following it? Can your intuition ever be wrong or is it that you're not listening to it? It's, it's that you're not listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so intuition can take you through negative experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll give you two examples. Um, well, uh, so the one is, is uh, one with a fellow who actually works here in London. And um, he had gotten into uh, a biker gang. Uh, for no apparent reason. So he was never led into that, got into a biker gang and did everything, uh, and, and I don't want to say th- stuff on the air that, uh, that <laughs> uh, in terms of details, but really, really kind of went through the, the, the raw side of life. And one day his intuition said, I'm done. And he just left. And where it led him is that it was a real bad time of his life, a very really dark time in his life. But where he is now, uh, he actually counsels people who are uh, who have anxiety issues or addictive issues or things like that because he can see uh, that around their face what type of issues they have just from looking at them. So he picks them out, and of course they're not going to talk to him. So he tells them of his story, mm-hmm. and then he counsels them. And he's not a counselor, but he helps. At least there's a, there's a sounding board. And the second uh, uh, one is from David Williams, who's a CEO of Fishbowl Inventory. So David uh, had uh, uh, moved to Utah. And there were a bunch of steel mills up there that were uh, polluting the environment. So he said, I'm going to buy this. And so he uh, went ahead, got some financing, and he owed several million dollars to a whole bunch of people, got some investors on board. And now this steel mill had undergone bankruptcy. And so um, as part of bringing it back up, he was talking to, the, uh, to a lawyer who was a part of a, a legal firm uh, on behalf of the bankruptcy, uh, uh, bankruptcy proceedings in the U.S., and uh, he put in so much money in terms of lawyers, uh, engineers, and architects to really transform this, uh, this whole uh, this steel mill. And at the 11th hour, three years later, several millions of dollars down, the lawyer said, thank you very much for your services. This is actually mine, and legally it was. And this lawyer walked away with everything. Wow. And David had minus three million and nothing. Wow. And so he went back had two weeks of very bad depression, couldn't even get out of bed, and uh, he paid every single person back. People were telling him to go bankrupt. In, se- in fact, bankers told him, you need to actually go bankrupt because my reputation is being hurt by you hanging on here. We're not getting paid, and that's hurting my numbers. And he said, no, nope. five bucks here, 10 bucks there. People were giving him uh, consulting opportunities. Mm-hmm. And a few years later, everything was paid off. Wow. And it was interesting because he gained a, a very strong sense of trust, and he couldn't explain to architects to really transform this uh, this whole uh, this steel mill. And at the eleventh hour, 
three years later, several millions of dollars down, the lawyer said, thank you very much for your services. This is actually mine, and legally it was. And this lawyer walked away with everything. And David had minus three million and nothing. And so he went back, had two weeks of very bad depression, couldn't even get out of bed. And uh, he paid every single person back. People were telling him to go bankrupt. In in fact, bankers told him, you need to actually go bankrupt because my reputation is being hurt by you hanging on here. We're not getting paid, and that's hurting my numbers. And he said, no, five bucks here, ten bucks there. People were giving him uh, consulting opportunities. Mm -hmm. And a few years later, everything was paid off. And it was interesting because he gained a, a very strong sense of trust, and he couldn't explain it. And so when he talks, he runs his company purely on trust. And it's an incredibly successful company, winning awards every single year. In fact, he goes down to Harvard University, and they can't figure out why he can run such a flat organization uh, without walls such as marketing and sales and, and et cetera, uh, and win awards year in, year out. They can't figure it out. And he couldn't figure out why he was so trustful of people. So when I did the interview with him, and I said, well, if you think about it, David, when you were minus a few million dollars, everybody trusted you to pay you them back, and you did five bucks at a time, but everybody trusted you. So no wonder you have a strong sense of trust. And he said, that's the nail on the coffin. Mm -hmm. I did not realize that. And so he's now taken that forward in a lot of the talks he's had because of our interview. What a powerful story. That was an incredible story. I mean, I don't know how you can, I try and put myself in his shoes. I can't because I'm not at that point, you know. um, You could just give me $3 million. (laughs) I could. (laughs) Yeah. try that. I can can turn it into Indian rupees and maybe, (laughs) (laughs) let's see if we can do that. (laughs) I can give you 3 million Indian rupees. It's probably about 20 bucks. I can give it to you right here. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Anyway, we're digressing. Let's stop there for a second and take a short commercial break here on Health Science Radio on 94.9 CHRW. And we will be back in just a few minutes with Sunil talking about gut and intuition and uh, lots of fun things. We'll be right back. Tune in twice a month, Friday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. for It's Trash right here on 94.9 FM CHRW. I'll dig deep in my record collection and find you some of the most interesting garage punk, no wave, power pop, and Canadian rock and roll. Remember, if it's raw, if it's fast, Do you have your purple gear ready? Friday, July 10th is Purple in the Park with our very own London Majors baseball team. Hosted in partnership with the London Abused Women's Centre, get ready to help us turn the park purple to raise awareness about ending violence against women. All proceeds will be donated towards frontline services for abused women in our community. Join us Friday, July 10th at 7.30pm at Labatt Memorial Park for some fun, some sun, and some great baseball. Batter up! For more info, visit lawc.on.ca. Get exclusive discounts at your favorite local gift shops with help from your friends of CHRW card. Head down to Covent Garden Market where you can save 10% on baked goods for your fuzzy friends at the Barkery and 10% off regular price jewelry, purses, and other accessories from Tina's Treasury. 
Come by room 250 in the UCC to pick up your Friends of CHRW card and save now. For more information, check out chwradio.ca slash friends. Hello and welcome back to Health Science Radio here on 94.9 CHRW. I'm your host, Jillian Mandich, and I'm joined live in the studio with intuition expert, author, teacher, speaker, Sunil. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. I feel so welcome here. We're, we're having a great time here. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now all about intuition and gut. And Sunil has a book that's out. You can get it at gutincorporated.com? Correct, yeah, gutincorporated.com. Or Amazon? Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, uh, barnesnobles.com, chappersindigo.ca. So a lot of different outlets for it. Absolutely. And maybe they can tweet you. You can sign a copy for them. Absolutely. If you, and if you're around <laughs> and I'm in town, I'll, I always meet for coffee and we have a good chat. And uh, I, always, I always get an intuitive story and uh, away we go. That's right. And yeah. Sunil's a good person to have coffee with. He's really, really interesting. <laughs> oh, we like I know from personal experience. But we have some great cats together. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, before we left for break, we were just talking about intuition and how to tune into your gut and how to yeah. connect with that part. And you were talking before a little bit about, you know, how you can do things like meditation or get quiet yeah. to really learn how to connect in with your gut. And, and I'm a yoga teacher, so I'm like, yeah, that makes great sense. But yeah. some like the world we live in right now is this noisy, busy place where we're constantly being bombarded from all angles with mm -hmm. social media and email and people. And so how does someone quiet all of that to get in touch with their intuition? Or can they have all that noise around them and still get in touch with their gut? So uh, that's a difficult question because it's it's very individualistic for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, some people l absolutely love the noise. Like, for example, uh, you know, Bill Johnson, who's a former CEO of McDonald's Canada. Uh, I was talking about him earlier where he actually loves to be in airports. And so he's surrounded by people and his intuition really, really works well there. Um, I can be in a huge room myself. And if I can place myself in that intuitive zone or intuitive medium, so to speak, um, everything else gets drowned out. And my thoughts get concentrated on what I'm thinking at hand. Uh, so it is very, it's different for everybody. Uh, so what do people do for solace? Right. Um, and that's, uh, so uh, like I say, some people actually take walks. Some people will want to go in a gym. Uh, some people want to board a plane, uh, mm -hmm. you know. So and for example, and I'll give you a couple of weird examples. When I fly, uh, as soon as I leave the Canadian border, for some weird reason, I think strategically about my business. And it has to be, and I'm watching the map, and as soon as that little plane goes over Canada or into the, wherever we're going, usually it's to India, um, my mind just switches to a strategic uh, strategic kind of bent. Mm. And uh, I was talking to Bruce Croxton about that, and he goes, Sunil, that's not weird because the same thing happens to him. Oh. So there's, there's, uh, there's that sleeping. Mm -hmm. uh, and other people, just before their sleep, uh, they, they think about a question, and when they wake up, um, their intuition works sort of, um, we're not sure exactly when, but the answer is there in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, there's a, a place where the noise is kind of uh, taken away. Uh, so it's it's really hard. Uh, I find though that the ones that um, are uh, that do share their experiences are things like taking a walk or uh, some people taking a bath, taking a shower, uh, where they're really really kind of by themselves, um, putting the the uh, iPhone or the the Android phone away. Um, you know, sometimes even staring at a screen. I'll, I'll sometimes have even my laptop up and the TV going, and I'll zone out. So 
it's it's really kind of tuning into how does it work for you, mm-hmm. uh, and that's important to recognize because one size doesn't fit all, and it has to be in tune with wh- who you are, where you find solace, uh, and then working from there. I uh, we were talking before, and I have a uh, markers in my shower. Okay. Because yeah. For me, absolutely. I find that when I get in the shower, I have all these amazing ideas and these things that come to me, and I want to write them down. And I was running into problems because I would get out of the shower, and so I'd have pools of water in my bathroom, and then my pad of paper would be wet. And so then I got these Crayola makes shower crayons, and they've been the best thing for me because for me, one of those places where I can really get clear is in the shower. That's so absolutely. F- yeah. And that's and what I do. It's it's weird <laughs> because uh, no, weird in a good way uh, mm-hmm. in that I think operationally in the shower. So mm. if I'm doing something uh, f- from an operations perspective uh, or uh, XYZ, not, not a high level strategic, mm-hmm. showering for some odd reason is where I, where I go to think about that. So when you when you told me about those markers, yeah. uh, I'm thinking of grabbing my daughter's markers and doing that. And mm-hmm. then, of course, I don't think they're going to like it. But well, you got to get the special ones for the shower, though. Oh. Yeah. So you, oh. you have to go to like any like Toys R Us or Walmart or any of those stores. They're by Crayola, but they are marker showers. You can oh, actually write. Oh. You can write on the wall in your shower. Oh, that's probably why that picture of Dora is not coming off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Were you trying Dora? <laughs> Did your gut tell you to do that? <laughs> well, once my daughter's punched me there for sure. <laughs> my gut was talking pretty loud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so in terms of your gut, I find, you know, a lot of times people do know what their gut is telling them and that yet they do something else. Absolutely. And that's a common thing for people. And why is that? Why, why do people tend to listen they know what their gut is telling them but yet they do something else right so so there's four main hurdles uh, that that uh, everybody uh, goes through uh that really kind of uh, curtails the ability for intuition to kind of come through uh the first is obviously a fear of failure nobody wants to fear failure mm-hmm. and a lot of times intuition will, will be very uh creative or go against the norm and in most cases it's the right it, well in every case it's the right thing to do but you kind of fear treading on water that you haven't been in uh, the second is is being way too rational. So people think that, oh, I've taken this course, or I've done this, I have to do X, Y, Z. And uh, that's simply not the case. And I have a great example of uh, Bobby Umar, who, uh, you know, did the, a good friend of mine down in Toronto, uh, did the uh, East Indian thing and became an engineer and uh, nice, nice parents. But he really wanted to, uh, you know, be his own boss and talk about social media and personal brand. And, of course, traditional parents said, what? the heck are you talking about? Like, uh, we don't understand that. And so he did the engineering thing, was incredibly unhappy. And when he broke away from that, uh, that rationality, he was able to be very, very successful. He's been on TEDx four times. Wow. Uh, he's got over, I think, a couple hundred thousand followers on Twitter now. Uh, very, 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 very successful uh, that way. Uh, you also have ego. Ego is a mm, huge one. And, ego. And, and there's there's two types of ego uh, that, I, that I talk about. One is your own ego, so your own inflated self. Uh, and uh, who you think you need to project yourself to be. And the second part uh, is fitting in. And so a lot of times you want to say, do, act things in the presence of others or as part of a group because you think that's what you got to do. Your intuition will be telling you, you can't go this way or don't trust that person or don't do this. And you forsake that because you need to fit in. And that leads you down a a pretty bad path. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last one is uh, over-emotion. Ooh. And uh, and it's interesting that emotion is a very important part of decision making. And in fact, research suge- uh, has shown 
that women are better th- in, in, at intuition because of that the emotion that they put in it, uh, into bus- and businesses are very successful because the combination of sort of that that rationality and, and emotion and connection with people and women are much better than that than that and so they're they're much more successful in business because of that um, mm. and but when you take that emotion and dial it up a few notches and uh, and really kind of get that emotional it could be hate it could, hates a strong word but um, it's it's that over exuberance of emotion in whatever situation you're in uh, that's what curtails it. And so you have the intuition, you get this emotional rise, and you shut intuition off where you really should kind of calm your emotion down. And that takes time. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of time in practice. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like mindfulness as well, yeah. right? It's, it's uh, quite a bit like mindfulness where you're kind of shutting off the noise, controlling your emotion. That's, mm-hmm. that's the closest I've, I've heard of, of something where you can actually tap into, into your intuition by controlling your emotion to a certain level. Because I know, like, for me personally, what it's like when you, like, you get caught up in the heat of the moment and your decisions that you make, you probably wouldn't make if it was, uh, you know, if you had a little bit of time to calm down a little bit or let let a little bit of that emotion go and get a, get that out. Yeah. Well, well, I know when I I talk about business ideas uh, and I'm bantering back and forth with some colleagues, I get very very excited if there's an opportunity and this and that, we go this, that, we get a, we get a piece of paper out, draw it out. But realistically, I, I actually need 24 hours to sit on it. And w- after 24 hours, I make a very well-informed decision. But within the first you know, hour or two, I'm so engrossed in the, the, uh, the excitement and the bantering back and forth and dreaming of how big this business can be, when in fact you take a look at the different paths and say, well, that's not possible because X, Y, Z, this is unrealistic. Um, maybe we thought that it was a great business idea, but it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not worth pursuing. So uh, that's I- even in, in my own case. I know I do that. Yeah. And so I make any major business decisions after about a 24-hour uh, layover. And I need to really sort of sit back and think about it. And I, I love that you're saying that because that's something you've taken the time to actually observe your history and your behavior. Yeah. And figure out what works for you in order – and you apply it now in your life moving forward. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And yeah. and different people will have different different things for them where yeah. same as, you know, how they connect to their gut might be different or, you know, different ways. But when they learn those triggers or what works best for them, then they can take that information and use it to their benefit. Absolutely. Moving forward. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. It, as, as I said, it's it's a very individual process mm-hmm. and everybody has to go through it uh, themselves. And I said the first one is to really be self-aware, trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Once you trust yourself, then all these indicators can, can be trusted. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, uh, you know, like people you talk about sort of finding ways to get into that place where you can connect with your gut and yep. are there certain triggers or certain ways that are common that a lot of people might use to learn how to connect in with their gut or to come to that like meditation maybe i'm thinking is there anything like that um nothing formally mm-hmm. uh, what i find it when i do my talks they're kind of forced because i force them to go through that exercise uh and many people uh, in the attend in the attend uh, the, or the attendees sorry uh, don't actually go through that exercise where they actually spend the time to get away and mm-hmm. as you mentioned before the busy world we live in we're constantly doing this we're constantly getting up and email and twitter and this and i do that myself mm-hmm. uh, uh because we are so busy uh, in our lives that we sometimes don't really actively think mm-hmm. that we've got to take that that step away and there there are times where you know days it, even in my case days go by and it's just filled with so much stuff that I really ne- need to sometimes sit back and think. And so I'm lucky that I get to go to drive to Toronto lots um, because that's when I do a lot of my uh, intuitive thinking is when I'm driving. So do you, you're driving, is the car quiet? 
Uh, I assume so. I, I'm, I'm zoned out, yeah. so I, I don't know. I don't hear anything around me. I, the radio can be on. Uh, I can have some tunes on. I can have talk radio on, and I love talk radio. But when I'm in that, good mod- thing you're here right now. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but when I'm in when I'm in my uh, intuitive zone, all that gets filtered out. Mm. Absolutely gets filtered out, and I'm just thinking about what I need to think about. I've heard that sort of that same description when people talk about flow state. Have you heard of the word like the no, expression flow state? No. It's a lot of athletes, for example, like when they're performing at the Olympics or something, they get in this zone where everything else in the whole world is shut off and they're just completely focused on their one sport or whatever they're doing. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds like the same sort of thing where you just kind of shut the world out and you're focused in and yeah, and, yeah. and in fact, it, yeah, yeah, you're talking about athletes. There's actually one piece of research I did look at that when they when athletes actually tapped into their intuition, they were able to increase their uh, their uh, level of uh, performance. Mm. So faster speed by tapping into their intuition. I think they did this study with uh, with um, I don't know if it's sprint runners or not. I'd have to go back and check mm-hmm. the research, but I remember reading something like that. That that mm. is a very very important part yeah. of their their performance. Yeah, because a lot of times, especially if like, I mean, growing up, I was a downhill skier. And so as you're going through the gates, you're going really fast down the hill. You have to have some sort of connection to that intuition to know exactly where to go next in the best way possible. Right. Right. And that would apply to a bunch of different sports, too, I imagine. And you've got to make it in a split second. Yeah. You've got to take a look at the landscape. You've got to know what the hills look like. Mm -hmm. You've got to know what the what the uh, the feeling of the the snow is, how the skis are going. And remember all this is being taken into account when you're skiing and intuition is pulling all of that together very quickly and Mm -hmm. subconsciously you'll know when to cut or when to do and I'm not uh, familiar with downhill I was uh, as a boy I was a good downhill snowball Uh, was a skier (laughs) but but that's that's different that's you just go straight down but uh, but all that is being soaked up so you actually know which way to go Mm-hmm. And uh, so that gives you a bit of a power of the speed of intuition that, that is, is working for you. Mm-hmm. I know for myself personally, when when I learn how to connect with my intuition, a lot of times I'll journal. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go back and I'll journal, you know, at the end of the day or after, you know, a big event. Mm-hmm. And when I go back and I look at those journal entries, I notice patterns and things like that. And mm-hmm. that's been something that's helped me to learn a little bit more about my intuition and to realize when it was actually at play when I didn't maybe realize it was and stuff like that. Right. Is journaling something that, that a lot of people do or that would be good for people when they're learning to connect into their intuition, do you think? Yeah, that's something that I haven't specifically asked about journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know people, um, again, what I'm talking about to them, it's more the, their experiences and I don't know how they, uh, a lot of it is, is just really kind of like what were the markers? Mm-hmm. How did intuition actually tap, uh, get tapped? And a lot of them give me sort of the signs that their body was, mm-hmm. uh, was talking to them. And so, as I said, some were at the actual gut, uh, others were dilated pupils. Uh, some actually had their, their skin, oh. uh, the hairs in their skin, they felt were, were actually uh, uh, went up and actually research backs that. Interesting. Uh, that I did the, not the, know yeah, that. Yeah, the skin conductance actually changes uh, right when intuition happens. Uh, and in 7 to 10 seconds, uh, there's that delay. Yeah. But your skin is, uh, is, uh, markers are already there as well. Wow. Um, so it, it manifests itself uh, differently. In, uh, or I'm not sure if it manifests itself differently or it's the interpretation of that manifestation. Mm-hmm. Um, like a chicken and different. egg kind of situation? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a bit different, difficult because it's also their interpretation of right. it. And it's not... It's not for me to actually put my interpretation on what they're feeling or mm-hmm. sensing. It's for them to tell me that. Right. Journaling itself, uh, it's interesting because I haven't really told too many uh, or asked too many people about that. And you t- just told me that recently. Yeah. So that's something I'm, I actually really want to ask as mm-hmm. I move forward because that would be a very interesting question yeah. uh, and an exercise to do on top of 
yourself yourself going into that intuitive medium mm-hmm. um, and, and actually doing journaling. So I, thanks for the, for that suggestion. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I can't wait to hear what comes of it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, very interested to find out what, what people have to say about that. Do you journal yourself personally? Uh, not a lot. Uh, I don't um, journaling for me. I, again, the old excuse that I don't have a lot of time. Uh, but a lot of, for my intuition, I know where I need to go to to get that, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I recognize the patterns uh, in myself. But it'd be interesting for me to go through that exercise because um, not going through that exercise. Uh, it just shuts off an area that I thought I, I think may may help. If it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't go anywhere. Right. But uh, I'm going to try. Okay. And you know what? Uh, if I come back uh, on your on your show, uh, when you, you come know, back, when I come back, yeah, uh, before 80 years old, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll let you know how that journaling goes. Excellent. And I'd love to love to see what patterns come up though. Yeah. And feedback again. It's really interesting because oftentimes too, I find when when I journal, I'll write things that I didn't really realize. Like it almost comes from that subconscious level that yeah. you were talking about before. And for me. When, when that happens, that's where it comes from oftentimes. So then uh, it's and when do you cool. journal? Is it, is it in the morning, evening, or whenever you find time? I usually journal in the morning. Okay. I, I'm pretty, I'm a morning ritual person. Okay. Um, but occasionally at night sometimes too, if I find journaling is a good way to kind of, we were talking about, you know, how things get really busy and noisy. Yeah. Sometimes I just need to get stuff out to create some space. So I'll right. journal. And I, I do often like stream of consciousness journaling. Okay. I call it. So you just, you get a pen, you get a paper, and you just start writing. Okay. And there's no real f- structure or format to it. Okay. So you just go. And for me, it's worked really well because I, you know, you can just let it all out. And yeah. then you, sometimes if I want to go back and read what I read, I can, I don't have to. And yeah. it, there's not a lot of structure to it. So there's not a lot of pressure or rigidity to keep you in, you know, a little box or whatever. So right. yeah, that's what I like. No, but, but for you though, you're also quite well versed into, you know, these, these, uh, the meditation mm-hmm. and the yoga and really being self-aware. Mm-hmm. What about somebody else? coming straight that doesn't have that training or that that uh sort of uh, those experiences i think i don't know you know would it be harder for them to do a stream of consciousness or are they holding themselves back i don't know it's just an interesting question yeah because we all like when we're sitting here you have that sort of your mind's just going and you you have this narrative in your head yeah so it's kind of like you're taking that narrator and you're putting it on paper Mm mm-hmm but even even like getting back to like the yoga and the breathing mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff for yeah. me personally that's something that's really beneficial but a lot of people they they aren't as connected with that sort of mind body breath that yoga connection and i know that for me having that and coming back to that sort of mindfulness and for me breathing brings me into the present moment and when i'm there that's when i can really listen clearly mm-hmm. and there's not sort of all this interference with my gut right um, but for a lot of people they don't have that connection so what would you say to someone that's wanting you know they're kind of curious they're listening to this and they're like okay you know i get it how do i start where do i start where do i go what would you say to someone like that well the first thing is 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 really that that self-awareness yeah. so so where are you going to go to trust yourself and and is it is it you know breathing exercise is it meditation is it really finding that intuitive medium where you actually put yourself somewhere and um is, and that's the, the one of the key features. So once again, as I mentioned, it's different for everybody, and um, I- even for myself as well. I know where I've been through with those those intuitive mediums and zones. So for me, it was great because mm-hmm. I recognize those. For others, we've done the one minute exercise, and they're putting themselves in those in those areas where they there is a calming effect, and. So far, none of the attendees have had to think about that. Mm. So they already have a sense of where that calming effect is. What's that environment? Uh, so putting themselves in that environment, I think, would be a great first step. Um, 
with the research now uh, coming out on things like meditation and yoga and being a lot more mainstream uh, and that really helping people, I I think that's another great, great uh, uh, step to also take. I know it's been suggested to me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, And I use the old adage that, you know, I never have time, but, uh, you know, it's something that you should you should really kind of make time. Yeah, you're choosing not to have time for it. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, uh, thank you very much for doing that. (laughs) Thank you very much. So um, you've talked, you've touched many times. You're welcome. <laughs> you, you've touched on a couple of times that you um, do some workshops and some speaking and stuff like that. Yep. And uh, you've got some stuff coming up. In Absolutely. In fact, one quite recent, right? Yep. So recently I, I, had, uh, I had done a, uh, one at Fanshawe. So it was a, a talk that was did there. I've got com- one coming up uh, July 14th to 17th. I'm in Stockholm. So I'm mm. talking to a bunch of uh, uh, accountants up there as a keynote. Uh, and uh, I've got an opportunity to go to London, England, and there's a breakfast. Not London, Ontario? Not London, Ontario, no, (laughs) no. Uh, As much as I'd like uh, those kind of places in Ontario, Mm -hmm. uh, going over the the pond, so to speak, would be better. Uh, But, yeah, there's a breakfast reading, and one of, um, actually, Jean-Pierre Taillon from the book, uh, he's well-connected with uh, those those that organize that, so he's trying to get me set up there to go for a breakfast reading, have a cup of tea and some (laughs) biscuits. Spots of tea. and (laughs) see Big Ben and uh, come back. So, uh, and then ongoing uh, some book clubs here and there and um, looking at possibly a conference uh, later this uh, this uh, year on uh, on specifically women's intuition mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of um, uh, attendees I had a, a fail fast succeed faster conference specifically on, on women entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. it was a held at Brescia resounding success we had 110 people there and yeah. many of them saying look Sunil the stuff that you're talking about is it's very different from the usual stuff that we talk about uh, you should do another one and intuition as I said the research is already backing the fact that that women are much better at intuition so let's tap into it much better for personal professional success and that's sort of the the, the, the sort of the, the, the rumblings of what I want to do at the mm-hmm. conference if people are their ears are perking up at that you know they're like oh that sounds like a really cool conference I want to go to that is is a good place on your website for a hub for all you've Absolutely, got going yeah. on so if you go to uh, uh, under appearances uh, under gutincorporated.com mm-hmm. uh, that that's everything that's happening there when the once the website uh, does come out or sorry the, the event comes out uh, I'll be doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, tweeting out mm-hmm. and so you're good peop- on Twitter thank you very much and LinkedIn so ca- catch mm-hmm. me on LinkedIn and um, so I that's another avenue that I use as well I'm starting to use Facebook a little bit more so starting to use those social media angles to try and get the word out mm-hmm. um, and uh, so yeah I'm, I'm really excited about putting that one together and trying to get uh, yeah, people like yourselves and other people involved that that might uh, be uh, uh, that I know will be excellent uh, uh, excellent attendees and, and contributors to that I think I think it's awesome especially conferences there's something really powerful about actual people coming together in a yeah. room you know like social media is amazing and you can really connect with people but being in physical proximity with other people and especially when you've got this common conversation that you know you were hinged in talking about intuition and stuff like that what yeah. comes from those conferences is really really powerful and and the stories i mean people mm-hmm. really connect we talked about this right, right at the top of the program but it's those stories that r- people really connect with and it's not just the stories but the connection in, in fact there was a, there was a, a comment when i did my fail fast uh, succeed faster conference um it, we had a couple of gentlemen uh, up on uh, uh, as panel members um, and uh, a couple of them told some stories, and one of the attendees said, you know, I've heard that story so many times in the paper or somebody telling me, but when I hear it from them up on stage, it's mm-hmm. much more powerful mm-hmm. because it's coming from the actual people, mm-hmm. and uh, c- incredible because it, it, there's that emotional connection and that visual connection uh, on top of the actual story itself, uh, and uh, I think it just it provides a better wow factor that way. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's funny because oftentimes what 
comes from a conference, the connections that you make or the, the conversations that you take from there and you apply them in your life, it's yeah. really life-changing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A lot of learnings, a lot of, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of advice. Mm -hmm. uh, and people that come to the conference, either panel members or even people, at the, the regular attendees, lots to share. Everybody's got a story. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a story. As we talked, you don't have to be a Jim Living, Bruce Coxon, Arlene Dickinson. You can be you, me, anybody. Mm -hmm. And we all have a story. Oh, I love that. So uh, time is quickly coming to a close. Wow. Uh, it, it really wow. wraps up fast with that you. That went pretty quick. It went very fast. Um, so one last time, if people are interested in learning more about you, getting a copy of the book, any sort of that, can you one more time throw out how they can find you? Absolutely. So on uh, Facebook, Sunil Godse. On Twitter, at Sunil Godse, S-U-N-I-L-G-O-D-S-E. Uh, website gutincorporate.com as well failfastsucceedfaster.com and it pretty soon will be rebranding to sunilgodse.com mm. so that's coming up probably in about two three weeks uh, and I'm going to put everything all together in one one little hub one little hub Excellent. just me me.com <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you so much again for joining me thank here. you very much for uh, for inviting me Jillian I really um, really enjoyed myself yeah it's been really fun <laughs> so with that uh, that's all the time we have today here on Health Science Radio on 94.9 CHRW and uh, again if you have any questions suggestions for upcoming guests feedback anything like that just tweet to me at Jillian Manage that's Jillian with a G so it's G-I-L-L-I-A-N M-A-N-D-I-C-H and uh, please stay tuned after a short commercial break up next we have tyler smith and ready set radio 